we're going to finish up today the book of Ruth. We've been dealing with the book of Ruth since the beginning of February, four Sundays in this month, four chapters in the book of Ruth. In fact, this morning early, I was standing out in the atrium, and when Brother Marty Lick came in, he said, I bet I know what you're going to preach on today, the fourth chapter of Ruth. And, uh, of course, he's right. This is the fourth. There are four chapters in Ruth, and we've been taking one each Sunday. And remember, Ruth is a love story, and it has everything in it that a, a, a good love story would have. There's mystique. There's, there's intrigue. There's mystery. There's, there's, um, there's tragedy. There's, um, but the story ends like I love to see a story end. It ends how many of you like the, a story that ends on a good note, and and, and the and the good the good guy wins? You like that? I, I love that. Now, some people like those kinds that leave you hanging, and you don't know who did what, and 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 others like those that uh, that, that are just all jumbled up, and messed up, and you you don't know. You know sometimes the bad guy wins. And they say that's more lifelike. Well, it's not really, if you read the end of the book, the good person, the good wins, amen? Good is going to win out over evil, I can tell you that. And uh, the book of Ruth ends on a high note, and we're going to look at that today. This is my favorite chapter of the entire book. For those of you who have not been with us for the last few Sundays, let me just quickly uh, and very briefly bring you up to date. I would encourage you to read the book of Ruth on your own time if you'd like to. Uh, but the book begins with a family, a woman named Naomi, her husband Amimelech, and her two sons, Milan and Chilion. And they are uh, leaving Bethlehem of Judah to go to the land of Moab because there was, there was a famine in the land of Bethlehem. And so this family tries to escape the famine. Their intention was to go to, Be- to uh, Moab and live there until the famine was over and then come back. But in Moab, tragedy struck. Amimelech died, which left Naomi as a widow with two sons to finish raising. If you fast forward for 10 years, the boys grow up and they each get married. Milon married a woman named Ruth and Kilion married a woman named Orpha. And They stay in Moab for a while, but then tragedy strikes again, and both of those young men died. We don't know what happened. We don't know whether there was a plague of some kind. We don't know what happened, but both of those young men died. So now you have Naomi, the mother, a widow. We have her two daughters-in-law who are also now widows. And so... Naomi said, I'm going back home to Bethlehem. She hears that things are better, the economy's better, the famine's over, and so she starts back. Her two daughters-in-law decide to go with her, and she stops them and says, please don't. It'll be very difficult for you to live in, in my homeland because you will be foreigners, and our culture is so different from what you've grown up in. It'd be very hard for you to, it, it, your living would be tough for the rest of your life. The, in my culture, when your husband dies, you marry your, his brother takes you as his wife uh, so that he can continue the family line and the inheritance. And I don't have any more sons, so you girls, would your, your life will be miserable if you follow me. Orpha kisses her goodbye and goes home. But Ruth makes that famous statement, 
from which uh, songs have been written and wedding songs have been written. Whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She even went further to say that only death will separate us. I'm, I'm staying with you. And so they go back to Bethlehem, two widows, a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, and life is tough. But Ruth is a very industrious young lady. There's not a lazy bone in her body, and she works at the only thing she can work at, which is the very bottom of the socioeconomic level in that area. She becomes a gleaner in the fields. That was hard work. What a gleaner was was somebody that came in after the harvesters and they picked up whatever may have been left in the fields. Long, hard work. But she worked hard. Just so happened that she wound up in the field of Boaz, who was a, related to the Abimelech family. And he has compassion on her and he blesses her and he tells her his, his harvesters, his labors, he said, be kind to Ruth and leave her handfuls on purpose. In other words, when you're, when you're um, harvesting, don't, don't pick up everything. Just, just let some fall. And so she is blessed. She does better in his field than anywhere else she has gleaned. And, and there's an interest that is struck between them. And at harvest time, Naomi instructs Ruth, and that's what we studied last Sunday, the third chapter, on how to make herself known to Boaz that she is related to him and that she is available for marriage. And so she does. And the story picks up where we are today. And I love this fourth chapter. I love the title of it because the title of chapter four is A Kinsman Redeemer. Now, there are 22 verses in this chapter, and I'm going to read the first 12, better than half of it right here at the first reading. It's rather long, but stay with me, and then we'll go back over that. Boaz is the chosen redeemer, and I want to present him to you in these first uh, 12 verses. Boaz went straight to the public square, and he took his place there. Before long, the closer relative, the one mentioned earlier by Boaz, strolled by. Step aside, old friend, said Boaz. Take a seat. The man sat down. Boaz then gathered ten of the town elders together and said, Sit down here with us. We've got some business to take care of. And they sat down. Boaz then said to his relative, The piece of property that belonged to our relative Elimelech is being sold by his widow Naomi, who has just returned from the country of Moab. I thought you ought to know about it. Buy it back if you want it. You can make it official in the presence of those sitting here before the town elders. You have the first redeemer rights. If you don't want it, tell me so. I'll know where I, tell me so I'll know where I stand. You're first in line to do this, and I'm next after you. He said, I'll buy it. Then Boaz added, you realize, don't you, that when you buy the field from Naomi, you also get Ruth the Moabite, the widow of our dead relative, along with the Redeemer responsibility to have children with her to carry on the family inheritance. Then the relative said, oh, no, I, I can't do that. I jeopardize my own family's inheritance. You go ahead and buy it. You have a right. My, you can have my rights. I can't do it. In the olden times in Israel, this is how they handled official business regarding matters of property and inheritance. A man would take off his shoe and give it to another person. 
This was the same as an official seal or a personal signature in Israel. So when Boaz's redeemer relative said to go ahead and buy it, he signed the deal by pulling off his shoe. Boaz then addressed the elders and all the people in the town square that day. Your witnesses today that I have bought from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech and Kilion and Milon, including the responsibilities for Ruth the foreigner, the widow of Milon. I'll take her as my wife and keep the name of the deceased alive among with, along with the inheritance. The memory and reputation of the deceased is not going to disappear out of the family or from this, his hometown. To all this, you are witnesses this very day. All the people in the town square that day backing up the elders said, Yes, we are witnesses. And may God make this woman who is coming into your household like Rachel and Leah, the two women who built up the family of Israel. May God make you a pillar in Ephrathath and famous in Bethlehem. With the children God gives you from this young woman, may your family rival the family of Perez, the son of Tamar, born to Judah. Now, some points of interest. I know that's a long reading, but, but I've, I've wanted to deal with all of that, and I don't want to take a lot of your time this morning, so I, I'm going to move right along here. Several points I want you to notice. The first thing I want to stress here, because this is so important, and that is that Ruth waited on her Boaz. She waited. She didn't get in a hurry. She allowed God to orchestrate and bring things together. Can I say to all you young ladies here this morning, it's very important that you wait for God and His will and His direction in your life. The biggest mistake that any of us can ever make is to rush ahead of God and miss His will. You don't want to do that. Faye and I have seen a lot of of young ladies that have done that. You see, Boaz has got a bunch of cousins and if you miss God's will, you may wind up with uh, broke as or poe as or lying as or cheating as or locked up as or good for nothing as or lazy as. You better wait on your Boaz. <laughs> Amen. You, you, it pays to wait on, turn to your neighbor and say, it pays to wait on Boaz. <laughs> Second thing I want you to notice is that Boaz made haste to get this matter taken care of. Last Sunday, we saw the sparks of romance beginning. And so he moves quickly to get this matter settled. Thirdly, Boaz sees the near kinsman in the public square. Now, the way when we talk about the public square, this is where business deals were taken care of. They didn't have a courthouse. They, they used the public square. And it's also where everybody passed by. They had one large road that went into a city. This is the way it was protected. Cities were, uh, were you walked in the city. That's the way in, and it's also the way out. Now, there were other streets and boulevards and roads and so forth inside the city, but there was the one main way in and out. So Boaz knew that stationed himself at the entrance of the city, he would see this nearer relative because he knew who he was and knew that he had to pass by that way. So he saw it. Isn't it interesting that we don't know the name of this nearer relative? I know that Boaz knew his name. He was related to him. 
he talks about him in terms that let you know how well acquainted with him he was and how familiar with him he was, but the scripture does not do him the honor of even mentioning his name because he was not willing to do what he should have done. In other words, take his responsibility as a kindred in Israel. And so the Bible doesn't even, doesn't even give us his name. In fact, it simply says when Boaz saw him, he, he basically just hollered at him. He said, step aside, old friend, take your seat. That's all we know. We, we don't know what his name was, but we do know that he did. Fourthly, Boaz explains then Naomi's situation with the property. And we read that a while ago. He said to her, you know, the property and, and you have a right. Now, property was very valuable in that time. Remember, this is an agrarian society. And so they made their living either by harvesting the land or raising cattle or sheep or something on the land. And so land was very valuable. In fact, you gauge the wealth of the person by the, the amount of property that they owned. And so it was very important. So he was quick to answer. The near kinsman was quick to answer yes when Boaz said to him, there, there's some property available to you. He said, well, yeah, boy, I'll increase my, my land here. I'll be glad to buy that property. Yeah, add it to him. But then Boaz says, wait a minute. There is uh, another situation here. And he explains the addition of Ruth. He said, when you buy this property, you've got to realize that you're not just getting property for yourself. You have the responsibility of taking care of Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, and raising a family to carry on uh, Mylon's name in our nation and also to maintain that inheritance. Well, when you put that stipulation to it, the near kinsman then responded, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. That would mess up my own inheritance. I've, got a, I've got, already got a family. I've already got kids. I've already planned what I'm going to do with my inheritance. And I, I can't, to, to, to do this, I, I just can't do it. So you do it. And then finally, the deal was sealed with a shoe. And uh, we read it a while ago. This is the way they did business in that day. They didn't have a notary public. They just took off their shoe and, and gave the shoe to the person. And that, that sort of sealed the deal. So all of that happened. Now, the next thing that we see in this fourth chapter is the marriage of Boaz to Ruth. I love this. Verse 13, look at it. Look at the first sentence. Boaz married Ruth. I'm going to stop there. Those three words. Folks, you're looking at a miracle in God's word with just those three words. Boaz married Ruth. Remember, Ruth came to, this, to Bethlehem as a foreigner. Ruth came with nothing. Ruth was on the bottom. She was working at the lowest level you could possibly work at. I, I don't know what you might think would be the lowest level of, of labor in, in, Amer in America, but whatever that would be, that's where Ruth was. And suddenly, she is married to a wealthy, respected man in Bethlehem. That tells you something about our God. He is able to take you from the lowest of circumstances and elevate you right up 
to a place where he wants you. He has destiny in mind for your life. Amen? And your destiny is good in the Lord. So don't give up on God. He's able to do great things. Let me continue reading. She became his wife. Boaz slept with her, but God, by God's gracious gift, she conceived and had a son. Look now at what's happening. Look, look at these three points. We have a property transaction that suddenly turns into a marriage. I mean, they're out here in the public square, and they're making this property deal, and the very next thing you see is a marriage. I believe it happened very quickly. It could have happened right there in the public square. You already had the 10 witnesses that would, could also seal the marriage just like they sealed the property deal. You've got the whole town that's gathered around, all those that were going in and out that day that got interested in what was going on. And, and, then, so, and, and the very next thing you see is that the whole town is celebrating Ruth. There is a celebration over this. Now, remember again, folks, this is a woman who is at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder who suddenly is being praised and celebrated by the whole city of Bethlehem. That took a miracle from God. But that's the kind of God we serve who can bring you. I mean, you see it over and over and over in Scripture. I mean, you see Joseph in the prison, and the next thing you know, he's prime minister of the nation. Only God can do that. But I want to tell you, that's the kind of God we serve. He can do that. And he does do that for his people over and over and over again. And then God blesses him with an offspring. What a, what a wonderful blessing. Now, we could end the story right there and say, boy, that is a beautiful story. Isn't that great? That is, that is a love story. All of, I mean, that's a, that's a chick flick if you ever wanted to read one right there. <laughs> but it doesn't end there. God not only has blessed Ruth, but God is also blessing Naomi. Look at the blessings of God on Naomi. Verses 14 to 17. The town women said to Naomi, blessed be God. He didn't leave you without a family to carry on your life. May this baby grow up and be famous in Israel. He'll make you young again. How many of you know that grandbabies will make you young again? They'll either make you young or they'll kill you. <laughs> because you'll do things you never thought you could do. You'll do things you quit doing a long time ago. You'll be sore in places that you, you didn't even know you had muscles when you start chasing after them grandbabies. But they are the most wonderful things in the world. And all of us grandparents know that if we'd have had any idea how wonderful they would be, we would have had them first. Wouldn't it have been nice if you could have had your grandchildren while you were still young enough to really chase after them and keep up with them? And, and maybe that's why you don't. Grandparents are a little bit older and a little bit more laid back. You let them buy with stuff you never let your kids buy with. And it's okay. You get to send them home with the parents after you've let them do whatever they wanted to do. And then the parents have to deal with that. But... Then it says, he'll take care of you in old age. And this daughter-in-law who has brought him into the world and loves you so much, why, she's worth more to you than seven sons. Folks, what a compliment when a daughter, a mother-in-law 
can have it said about her daughter-in-law that she's better to her than seven sons. Boy, that's a high compliment, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful that in the family of God, when everybody's serving the Lord and living right, that things can be different than they are in the world? You know, you, we, you don't have to live up to that old stereotypical um, stuff with mother-in-law jokes and daughter-in-law, mother-in-law not getting along. In the family of God, we can get along. We can love one another. We can take care of one another. That's what we have here. Naomi took the baby and held him in her arms, cuddling him, cooing over him, waiting on him hand and foot. The neighborhood women started calling him Naomi's baby boy. But his real name was Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. Look at these things. Uh, first of all, the town now, remember a while ago they were celebrating Ruth? Big marriage ceremony, whole town celebrating Ruth. But now they turn and celebrate Naomi. Wow. The, remember, this is the woman who said, I went away full, but I came back empty. She, she returned home with nothing. She'd lost everything. Her husband died over there. She has nothing now. The only thing she had was this daughter-in-law that followed her home. But God now is restoring joy and prosperity to her life as well. And now they're celebrating her. They, they, they're telling her, God's blessed you with a family after all. You thought it was over. You thought there wouldn't be anybody else. You, you could, you're too old to have more children. You thought it ended right here. But God didn't forsake you. God didn't forget you. She thought he had. That's a mistake that we make sometimes. And let me tell you, when you make that mistake, you're listening to the wrong voice in your head. It's the devil that wants to make you think that God has forgotten you. It's the enemy of your soul that makes you want to, makes the, the, you want to think that you are forsaken and you are at a point in life where nobody can help you and you're as down as you can get and you've never gone through anything like this before and there's no hope for you and, and it's, it's just going to be dark clouds from now on. No, it's not. God has not forgotten you. God knows your address. God knows your phone number. God knows where you live. God knows the thoughts that are going through your mind. God's got the hairs of your head numbered. He knows all about you, and he cares for you desperately. Yes, he does. He cares for you. Gave her a daughter-in-law that was better to her than seven sons. No, what a grandbaby for this grandmama. <laughs> She, she was so involved in that boy's life until the whole town quit calling it Ruth's baby and started calling him Naomi's baby boy. What a blessing, what a blessing, what a blessing that a grandmother can have that kind of connection with the grandchild. And uh, boy, aren't, aren't, they're wonderful, aren't they? They're just, they're just wonderful. And uh, they take away a lot of decisions in life. You don't have to make decisions anymore. Faith said to me not too long ago, she said, you know, we need, we're old enough now, we need to start thinking about where we're going to live when we retire. And I said, Faye, don't worry about that. Maisie will tell us where we'll live when we retire. <laughs> your your grandkids, just take away a lot of worry right there. You just, you, grandparents, we just do what they tell us and, and, uh, and go with that. But 
Naomi's experiencing this now. She never thought she would be able to experience that, not after her two sons had died, not after her husband had died, but now she's being blessed. And then the fourth chapter ends with going back over some of the genealogy. And let me read it to you, verses 18 to 22. This is the family tree of Perez. Perez had Hezron. Hezron had Ram. Ram had Amenadad, and Amenadad had Nashon, and Nashon had Salmon. Salmon had Boaz. Boaz had Obed. Obed had Jesse, and Jesse had David. Now, why is that significant? Let me tell you why. Remember, Ruth was a foreigner. Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth was a stranger. Ruth was really considered an outcast in the culture of Israel at that time. And yet God brought her in, and not only did he bring her in, she's one of the few women that are mentioned by name in the Bible. And not only is she mentioned, but there's a whole book in the Bible that tells her story. And God not only brought her in and gave her a family, God put her in the lineage and in the genealogy of King David. And guess who's the root out of David? Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer. My conclusion, and look at this on the screen because this is so important. Boaz is a type of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Jesus is the one that stepped up to our hopeless situation and our helpless circumstances. Jesus is the one that said, I'll pay the price. I'll pay the price. The law couldn't do it. Sin certainly couldn't do it. The world couldn't do it. But Jesus said, I'll do it. And he paid the price for us. And that's why we're here this morning, because of our kinsman redeemer. Will you stand with me, please? Praise the Lord. Let me tell you this little story in closing, and then we'll pray. Many, many years ago, several generations ago, in fact, there was a gathering of friends at an English estate um, that turned tragic. While the family was gathering in the large mansion and they were having their fellowship and their time of fun, the kids were outside playing. And one of the small kids ventured out into the water and the child got too far out, further than he could swim back. And he began to scream But there wasn't anybody out there to hear him except the gardener. Not Roger Gardner, but the gardener. The one that was taking care of the garden, the flowers. He heard this kid screaming. And so he ran. He was the only one close enough that could have saved him. He ran into the water and in desperation and at the risk of his own life, he pulled that child from the water and saved his life. The family came out, and they were thanking the gardener and saying to the gardener, is is there anything we could do to repay you for what you've just done? You saved our child's life. And he said, well, 
my son has always wanted to go to college. In fact, my son has dreams of being a doctor, but there's no way possible for him to do that. If you could help me educate my son. And they said, no problem. And this family put that boy through college, put that boy through med school, and he became a very famous surgeon. That child that was pulled out of the water by that gardener was Winston Churchill. Later on, when Winston Churchill was the prime minister of England, he got sick, he got pneumonia, and he was dying. They searched the world over for the very best doctor they could possibly find. And they said the only doctor on earth that could save him from an attack this great of penicillin, I mean of uh, uh, pneumonia, is the guy that discovered penicillin, Dr. Alexander Fleming. And so Dr. Fleming came and literally saved Sir Winston Churchill's life with a shot of penicillin. By the way, Dr. Alexander Fleming was the son of the gardener who pulled Winston Churchill from the water when he was a child. And the Churchills educated him, and he discovered penicillin, and he saved his life. Winston Churchill said, and he made this statement many times over, it's so unusual to find a man who owes his life twice to the same man. He said, I owe that gardener my life two times. He saved me when I was a child, and his son saved me when I was prime minister of England. Saved him twice. That's nothing new for you and me. We who know the Lord and know his word know that life is in him. He is our life. And the reason, the very air that we breathe, the Bible says it's in him that we live and move and have our being. The very breath we breathe came from the Lord. He's the one that gave us life. He's the one that created life. John said in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. By him was all things made that was made. And without him was nothing made that was made. In him was life, and the life is the light of men. Light shined in darkness, darkness comprehended it not. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In him, he gave us our first life. And then, how many of you have received that second life, that eternal life? He's given us life twice, hasn't he? Amen. Give him praise this morning. He's worthy. That's our Savior. That's our Savior. That's our Savior. Give him praise. He's our kinsman redeemer. He's our kinsman redeemer. And so the book of Ruth is not just about Ruth. The book of Ruth is a foreshadow of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. May the Lord Jesus Christ bless you and may his grace and mercy and strength go with you and keep you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord.